Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the group privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe that this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And so what that means is you're going to need a Bible uh, to follow along. So whether you're at the Lompoc campus um, or even if you're watching online, but if you're at the Lompoc campus or here in the room in Buellton, uh, we have a gift for you. We have a Bible for you. If you forgot yours, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have one, take that one. Uh, read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you think that? Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I think right over here. So we're so glad that you're joining us and one right here. Um, and he'll, be, he'll get one to you in just a moment. Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Uh, it's the first book of the Bible, if you're not familiar. And... Um, so it's at the front of this library of books we call the Bible. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. We've been in this series for the past uh, several weeks uh, called Good News from the start. And so I want you to turn in your Bible there. If you're watching on the online campus, we're so glad uh, that you're gathered with us. Uh, we're so glad if you're gathered with us in Lompoc at the Lompoc campus, because here's the reality. The church is not a place. The church is not a building. The church is a gathering of the people of God. Amen. Let me say it again. The church is not a building. The church is not a place you go to. The church, the ekklesia is where we get the word church in the Greek. It means the gathering of the people of God. And so when we gather together, we are the church, the body of Christ, uh, and we're gathered together. And this is what Ephesians tells us that we're supposed to do. Uh, we're to gather together. And the Bible says that there are gifts to the church. Some of those are pastors. I just want to point out the Bible says I'm a gift to you and uh, that God gives gifts to the church and uh, and their responsibility is to speak the truth in love that we will all grow up and grow together in love amen amen, amen. and uh, this equipping that we're supposed to do through the speaking uh, of truth this equipping is so that you are uh, capable and equipped to carry the message of the gospel, the good news, gospel means good news, the message of good news when you leave here. So today, this is about equipping. Today, this is about gearing up. Today, this is about uh, training in godliness. So are you ready? Are you ready? Some of you have read ahead. Uh, so I want you to look at Genesis chapter 6. Uh, I think, I just want to let you know, I think they're still looking for one of those Bibles. We give out a lot of Bibles, and I think they're trying to look for uh, the reserves. Um, so uh, look at Genesis chapter 6, right here. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, you're going to want to underline that, put an asterisk beside it because we're going to have to deal with that. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. No kidding. And they took at... Amen. Amen. All right. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, Man shall not abide in, this, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 
years. The Nephilim, you don't want to underline that, put an asterisk beside it because we're going to have to deal with that. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord repented. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us and that uh, in the mystery that we find in the text, in our limited perspective and our limited knowledge, especially of the past, we can debate and we can think and we can ponder, but ultimately you are truth and we'll seek after you and we'll pursue you and we'll wrestle with the things we don't know. And we ask for your help in pursuing by faith your glorious grace that we would find favor in your sight as we walk with you. Let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, "Amen." Amen. So um, there's some uh, there's some problems in this text. Did you notice any? <laughs> right, like, like like here here's what happens. Like, and we talk about this at Crossroads. We want to preach through books of the Bible, which means I don't want just the 27 steps to being awesome. Uh, to, to be what we preach every week because I tried the 27 steps of being awesome and they didn't work. You can ask my wife, okay? And, and so uh, my perspective is limited. My advice is limited. And here's what I'm convinced of is that good news is better than good advice. Good news is better than good advice. And what I'm convinced of is that most of our modern preaching is simply good advice. And we can find good advice and we can find uh, good practices and principles in the Bible. And we can have those help us for uh, our lives. But ultimately, good news is what the contents of the Bible are about. And what do you mean by that? Well, think about the nature of news. See, news is something has happened. Good news is something has happened and now everything has changed. And see, the Bible refers to its contents as good news, as gospel. Not simply, these are the tips and trip, tricks to living a blessed life, a healthy life, a good life. This is about announcing something has happened. And so what we want to do is we want to tell you this good news. The Bible says, blessed are the feet, beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. That this is a difficult journey, this is a difficult thing to do, to carry such news, but the responsibility of the church is to announce this news. Our responsibility is to carry it, to announce it, to proclaim it, and leave the results to God. Leave the results to his wooing of the spirit and him drawing and, and people by faith responding to this good news or rejecting this good news, ignoring this good news. And what I'm convinced of is as we look at the Bible, what we'll find is that we see good news from the start. We find good news throughout the entirety of the Bible, beginning to end. We don't believe that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. Somebody say amen to that. I'm convinced that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is good. He's gracious and he's slow to anger, abounding in love. And so... When I read particular parts of 
the scripture. What I have to do is, is fight the lie of the enemy that would begin to disguise my view of who God is. See, that's his tactic. He uses lines like, did God really say? No, no, no. He didn't really mean that. No, 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 no. He's trying to keep good from you, not actually introduce you to everything that is good, namely his son, Jesus. And that ultimately, the Bible tells me that every good and perfect thing comes from above. And, and, and so the enemy lies to me and convinces me that actually goodness is somewhere else other than with God. And so I have to fight that. When I read the text, I have to fight with that inclination, that lie of the enemy, that first lie where he takes the words of God and twists it and tries to make God something that he is not, which is manipulative and narcissistic and evil. And, and, and what, he, what he is is he, he is against you, not for you. And some of us go, well, I believe that about God, but I just don't know if I see that in the Old Testament. I don't know if I see that from the start of the book. And what I want to convince you of through this series is that from the very start, this has always been the plan of God for your good in spite of you, in spite of your decisions, in spite of your folly, in spite of your wickedness and your decisions that you wish you could take back, in spite of your faults and your shortcomings, in spite of your shame and your guilt, God is for your good. Now think of the contrast of that, uh, that reality of who God is with the reality of who you are. I just made a statement proclaiming good news to you. Here's the good news, that God is good no matter if you are not. And that he is for you and pursuing you even when you don't do that. Even when you don't do what is right and yet God is for you. Now think about that in contrast with you. If someone was to wrong you, if someone was to be evil or wicked towards you, if someone was to fool you once, fool me twice, right? Eventually, friend, we got to cut people off. You know, eventually people are going to get what they deserve. You know what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes payback is something we know will bite us, right? We, uh, am I preaching to the wrong crowd? Think about all the times in our lives that our standard for relationship is transactional and and, and and let me tell you that our relationships are transactional and the books better line up the balance sheet better balance out what I do for you you better do for me an eye for an eye this this, this is where uh, ultimately we see the world around us and yet what I want to convince you of is that God is quite different than you and I what I want to convince you of is that when you cut people off, God does not. When, when you have had enough, God is enduring and patient with us. When you're fed up and frustrated, God has a plan in order to redeem and to change and to transform. And here's the problem is that if we're going to say all of that, we actually have to be convinced of that. We have to actually look in the Bible. And when we say here we want to preach through books of the Bible, what it means is we're going to preach through books of the Bible. And what that means is we're going to deal with some texts that I can promise you would not be my favorite passage to preach. There's just some that just are, are just set up spike. I know when we're, man, that's going to be a good sermon, man. God loves the world. He's going to save everybody who trusts in him. It's going to be a doozy, right? Like, I know those passages, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is right here. Man, those will preach, man. That'll get me fired up. I'm going to stomp my foot and point my finger. And right, that's going to be awesome. And then we're going to get to Genesis 6. And I'm going to have to sit down with you, friend, 
Because there's some things in here that, that are difficult. And can I just say, I'm not a Bible scholar and I'm definitely not a Hebrew Bible scholar. And, and there is debate all over the place about what this particular passage means. So there's some things we got to deal with. There's some settings that we have to have. And so if you're a guest with us, journey with us. This is the general diet that we have is I don't get to decide I try to endeavor to persuade and convince and journey together. And we have to fight well with the text. And I'm convinced if we fight well, others will win. Amen? See, that's what we have to do. That's, that's normal. That's normal to fight with truth. To fight to know that what I'm seeing on the news, what I'm seeing on social media, what my friend tells me in the break room, what I, what I hear at work, I got to fight with what I'm hearing. I got to fight. Is this true? I got to work hard. I can't be slothful in my pursuit of truth. This is an everyday occurrence for us. And ultimately, fathers, mothers, friends, I mean, if we fight well, then the people around us will win because we'll be convinced, we'll be people of truth. Where Paul tells Timothy, a young person, a young preacher, he says, listen, Timothy, I want you to be a workman, study, show yourself approved unto God, that you could be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, that you can rightly divide truth. Now, shame comes when, oftentimes, shame comes when I believe something to be true and I find it to be folly. Amen? When, when I think I'm convinced of something, but I didn't work hard enough to dig to the truth, and I stepped out in faith, and I found it to be foolishness. Man, we can find ourselves in shame. We find ourselves, man, I thought that was true. I shared that, and I didn't realize that was Babylon B. Like, uh, I, 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 I convinced, I told somebody that, uh, that this was going to happen because of something I read, but I, did, I just read the headline. I, I didn't actually search out. I didn't, I didn't look at the footnotes. I didn't look at the study behind the research. I just trusted the experts. I, I didn't actually dig. I just trusted those in positions of authority. I just read a book from a pastor. I just believed a professor. I didn't actually look and see where the information came from. And now think about that in regards to what we're doing here is oftentimes we have people in positions of authority, not just pastors. This is not just in religious settings. In every setting, we have people who present themselves in positions of authority and they begin to propagate to us or preach sermons to us about what they want us to be convinced of. Are you with me? This is in every setting. So this isn't, so what I want to do is I don't want to be a guru. I want to be a guide. I, I, I don't want to be a guru because man, if you want to be a guru, good luck. Don't let them see behind the curtain, friend. Right. And let me tell you, I'm not your guru. I'll fail you. Listen, I, 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 you can follow me around for 15 minutes and I'll frustrate you. Right. L like uh, you've catch me in a wrong mood. I'll have to invite you into my office. Happened this week. Hey, sorry for how I responded to that. I, that I was riled up man. I was angry. Yes. I, I, I don't think I acted in a certain way. I will let you down. Jesus will never let you down. So let's let's put uh, let's put the precedence on who we're following, who we're trusting, and ultimately, when 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 I'm in a position of authority, know that I am uh, I am nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody, right? And and so here's where we are in Genesis six. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, now fast forward, if you haven't been here, God created everything. You can put that in the bank. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, God had a plan for mankind. Man had their own plan. God had a plan, but oftentimes man has their own plan and is convinced that his way is better than God's way. Now think about how that ancient old conversation is still a conversation today. It happens in every moment of our lives where we are put at a crossroads, pun intended, and, and we have to make decisions where we decide, am I going to have my way or am I going to go God's way? And so here we are, man goes his way and we find ourselves where the whole earth is corrupt 
all of humanity has gone astray. And ultimately, this multiplies. It multiplies because we read in chapter 5 that that men lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. We talked about this. If if you think about the word sin, sin means in the Hebrew is this word kata, which is like an archer shooting an arrow. That's why sin means to miss the mark. This word kata is like aiming for something and missing. Well, if it's a short shot, if, if it's from here to there, well, then my aim is not that important. I, 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 can, I can be off a little bit and still hit generally my target. Maybe it's not the bullseye, but, but I'll be in the general area. Now stretch that out some distance. Stretch it out over a lifetime. Stretch it out over generations. Stretch it out over hundreds and hundreds of years. It's the small things, the small variations. It's, it's the small things, as the New Testament tells us, to set me back. These are the things that add up to a big miss. That's where we're at in Genesis 5. It tells us uh, generations, hundreds of years, long lifespans. And and listen, some of us even think like that. Like, man, my 20s, how many? Right? Man, when I was a teenager, right? Like, just judging the room, you're like, man, when when I was in my 50s, right? Right? Remember that? Right? You, you think about those dec. We even we kind of refer to that. We, we refer to decades as sometimes a miss. How many are thankful that God redeemed you out of that decade? Amen. Oh man, I didn't hear enough of that. Somebody say amen to that. Right? Some of you are just worried about revealing who you really were. Right? You, sh- you should boast in the grace of Jesus. Amen. And so some of us think about that, like, man, what, what, if, what if I stretch that out over another decade? Now think about that. Now what we read here is not decades, centuries. What, what we read here is not just one family, generations. And what we see is that one miss, a small miss, leads and adds up over time. And that's why we talk to fathers all the time. Listen, dads, you be careful about your misses. Be careful about what you're presenting. Be careful because your sin, your miss, will affect generations. So humbly and repentively submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee and lead your family with courage. Somebody say a big hearty amen to that. And so here we are, when man had begun to multiply, fill the earth, this is what happens. These are passed down. Then it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Now let's deal with this, the sons of God. Now in the Hebrew, this is the title Elohim. Elohim, which is a general term for God. And so you actually see the word Elohim used for God. Yahweh, who later Moses says, hey, can you give me a name? We've been following the true God, but we don't know your name. Who shall I tell them sent me? And so, so the, the, the name Yahweh is introduced later. But God, from the opening, in the beginning, God, this is the word Elohim. And then what you'll find out is that there are many Elohims in the Bible. And yet what we know of Yahweh God, God of the Bible, is that he is Elohim of Elohim, meaning he, he is above all. He is Lord of Lords. But what you'll find, and let me encourage you, there's a great resource with the Bible Project. It's a spiritual beings playlist. And we'll actually talk about the divine counsel of God, the Elohim, spiritual beings. And so uh, when you get this word Elohim, it's not a name, it's a title. And yet they know when, when it's used in different ways. The sons of Elohim, these spirit beings, and, and yet there is, when we, in the beginning, 
Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It's like the title that we use for dad or mom. And yet when a child says mom, they're not talking about all moms. We're talking about a one specific mother, their mother. And so when the Bible, the the authors of scripture use the word Elohim, you'll see the same word, but a very distinctive, just like saying my mother, my God, above all all Elohim, but then there will be this term uh, Elohims, which is those lower than God. Are you tracking with me? Three of you. Thank you. Clear as mud? Come come on, Rick. You're in this group. Aren't you leading these guys? Right? Uh, and, and, And so here's where we get what scripture begins to tell us is that there are spirit beings there are angels there are demons there is the satan which is another title for the adversary and 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 yet we're introduced to these spirit beings uh, right from the start of scripture and and then we get to this place where somehow there's this co-residing happening my made-up word for Eden, this spirit place that's not like here, this place of heaven and earth colliding, much like where we're going because the beginning and the end are always tied together. So if you believe someday I will be in a place with God, walking with God, being with God, co-residing heaven and earth brought back together, if that's where we're going, that's where it started. And so that means this place was not like our place and yet Eden was different and then they're cast out of Eden and they're made to work the ground and they're they're made to 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 build cities and yet God journeys with them we read even last week Enoch walked with God and then was not God took him and we see a foreshadowing of even John three sixteen that if we believe in God we will not face death we will not perish but have everlasting God life those who walk with God and yet we get to this place and we see this intermingling of spirit beings and human beings and so there let me give you some reality that there's not full consensus on what this sons of God the sons of Elohim saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose and because of this God says my spirit shall not always abide with man forever so there's a couple interpretations and debates of interpretation of what this sons of man or sons of Elohim means now one explanation is that these spirit beings fallen angels and we would refer to as demons fallen angels took for themselves in this period of time human wives and they bore sons and this gave birth to what we'll go on and say the Nephilim which is uh, the men, the mighty men of renown. And so we see this in in ancient literature. We see it in mythology. Uh, We see it in modern mythology. We we see like the modern Thor. He's a son of a god, a spirit being. This is uh, this is Zeus and Hercules. We we see these this kind of mythology that is kind of transitioned and and kind of been passed down and you go well wait a second the bible isn't mythology no it's not let me persuade you for a moment and how maybe i would think about these things see in these stories even where we're going to go with the flood account there's other flood accounts like other religions have a flood account and this character that actually is like Noah that we'll read about who will build an ark and save humanity. This is not just limited to the Hebrew Bible. Now, uh, maybe you're familiar with with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and they studied, studied ancient literature. And here, C.S. Lewis at the time, early on, was an atheist and they studied at Cambridge and they were friends and, and Tolkien was a devout 
Catholic and he believed in the scriptures and he believed all of these things and yet he studied this ancient mythology that had these kind of shadows of uh, what we read in the text. Now here's what he said to Lewis. He said, Lewis, did you ever think that there might be a true myth? What do you mean by myth? The way we think about myth is not the way uh, those who study ancient literature think about myth. But he said, do you ever think that all of these stories somehow are telling us about something that is true? Where did we come up with this? Why, is, why are these stories passed down throughout the ages, even to modern uh, shows and movies that we watch? Where did we come up with these ideas? And Tolkien would say to Lewis, did you ever think there might be a true Myth. In other words, all these other stories are pointing to something that is actually true. Now, for those of us that believe the Bible, we believe this is truth, not myth, and that all other myths are pointing to the truth. And so if you believe that, then you, you have a first explanation that something spiritual happened and even how we don't fully understand it, but the residue of this story somehow has been passed down for millennia that we would still be telling these types of stories. And yet there's other explanations where people say that the Nephilim, the these men of renown, some would translate this giants, uh, giant men that we would see even in the Exodus story uh, where they go into the land of Canaan and there are giants, uh, that maybe this is some reference to them and some explanation for giants. Um, another explanation that some people would suggest is that these were tyrannical kings who claimed to be gods. And so they set themselves up as gods and ruled as gods and then took whoever they wanted like tyrannical kings do. They would look out and survey and go, hey, that might be your wife, but today she's my wife. And it begins to say that they saw that, that the women of the earth were attractive and they took whoever they wanted. Now, whatever category you find yourself in, uh, I, I think there's room in the text to kind of wrestle with that belief. Now, here's where uh, the first part of my sermon comes in. I'm no guru. I'm not here to tell you what to believe about this particular passage. Here's what we know. Here's what I want to guide you through. Here's what we know is that wickedness ruled the earth. And, and here's what we know is that we have an enemy and that we are spirit beings. And there were spiritual beings. The Bible says that we're made a little lower than the angels and yet seated in heavenly places. That would be frustrating for spirit beings who are not soft and weak like you and I. Well, some of us, amen. And yet, what it tells me here is that there's this, this battle between going God's way and living out the divine purpose that God has for us or plunging into chaos from my own making and my own doing. We know that to be true. This ancient story becomes very relevant because there are times when we look out in our own lives, we can look at this, this micro example and times when I do it my way and get what I want that I'll plunge myself into chaos, anxiety, and fear. And most oftentimes, those feelings and those emotions are from when we're trying to do something that's outside of the will of God. Can I get anyone to testify to that? So you're not alone. These feelings that we have, this is what happens, but then it's maximized. When we zoom out, even now, we can look at the condition of the world and we can go, there's violence and there's wickedness and there's injustice. 
We, and yet, oftentimes, the same injustice and the same wickedness that we see out in the world, if we're to zoom in, is the very same seed of wickedness that we see in us, that we're broken and fractured by sin, that we've missed the mark, the call that God has for us. So the passage goes on. So however you deal with was this the sons of God? Were they daughters? Uh, were were they their children of spiritual beings? I'm not sure. What I do know, and here's what I'm convinced of, let me let you in on some of my kind of personal struggle. I think that the world between Genesis 1 and Genesis 6 was vastly different than the world you and I experience. Now here's some evidence for it. Is from this point on, my, God says, my spirit shall not abide with man forever, and I will limit his days to 120 years. Now, let me give a caveat that Abraham's going to go on and live to 175 years. But for what we experience and what we know and what the Bible's been saying now for millennia is saying that the age of man will be no more than 120 years. Now, that's a fascinating prediction for me. I don't know if you've noticed this. I think the oldest person to ever live was a woman because they're smarter than us. Right? And we can't live without you, girl. (laughs) Right? My wife's sitting over here. Anyways, uh, and, and yet she was 122 years old. Yeah, well, that's not 120 years. That's 120, right? Uh, uh, we were selling a car the other day, and we had 184. They said, how many miles are on 184,000. They're like, that's 180,000, right? Like, that's, uh, and yet, that's the way the Bible talks about this. But here's what I know, and opposed to uh, what uh, the character Ricky Bobby would say, Right? He says, you know, I'm thinking with my level of income and advances in modern science, I could live to at least three, four hundred years, right? And yet, with all the advancements of science, with all of our wealth, no matter what, now, now think about that, even now, when, when, you, when you think about those uh, who are in uh, positions of wealth, wealth and authority, their attempts to prolong their lives, the frantic, man, I, I want to live forever. What does the Bible say? You will not. Your time will be limited. Here's what, I, here's what I know. And so, so you know this to be true. How did the Bible predict that? How did the Bible predict that? One of the oldest books that we have. How did the Bible know that 120 years will be the age of man? Because God said it and it was true. And it was in his grace that he did it. What do you mean? We'll, 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 we'll think about, think about if, if the world is troublesome. And we're waiting for the redemption. We're waiting for the story to conclude in God's grace. Why? Because the chapter before, men lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what's the condition of the world? How long can they go astray? You know what God said? No, we're going to limit that. We're going to limit that. In his grace, he limits the days of man to 120 years old and he says this he says i'm going to give man what he wants what he deserves what he's brought on himself if he wants his way i'll let him have it man the great one of the great theologians says it this way on the last day There will be two different types of people. There will be those who say to God, thy will be done. And there will be those whom God says to them, thy will be done. What we find is that's exactly what happens in this story. Man, through 
perversion and wickedness with consuming one another with, with no value for other human beings who are made in the image and likeness of God. No intrinsic value. Treat them as property. Take who they want and allow violence through violence to be the ethic and rule of their life and their world. And what we find is that God makes a decision. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I am created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you get to passages like this, and there are multiple things. There are the issues in the text that we see. Man, this world was different. That world was different than this one. And we'll talk about the flood next week and the evidence of that and how... I'm from eastern Kentucky, and we find fish fossils somehow. And, but there's a dilemma here in the text that God's going to make a decision. You have to ask the question, like, what, out of what motivation does God make this decision? You may project onto God anger. But the text doesn't say that God's angry. Actually, it's not until with Moses do we actually see the very first time the Bible says that God is angry. His motivation was sorrowful. His motivation was regret. His motivation was a change of mind. You, you may say, well, that doesn't make sense for a God to have feelings. Would you want a God who was absent from feeling? Would you want a God who was absent from your feelings? That he would look at injustice around the world and man's intent and have no feelings? Not be moved to action? Now think about that. Would you want to have a relationship with someone like that? Would you want to have a relationship who saw, with someone who saw injustice and stood by and allowed it to happen? And we have sayings for that. When good men stand by and allow wickedness, how could that person be good? And yet in our society, we cry out. We go, God, how are you going to allow injustice See, sometimes when people go, man, I cannot believe in a God who would be wrathful. I could never believe in a God who wasn't. Because if this God that you claim, that God's different than the God of the Bible. And what I see in the Bible is good news. A God who sees injustice and does something about it. But even inside of this judgment, this terrible day, it says that Noah found favor in the sight of God. That even in the midst of it, you know, like I got to be honest, as as a dad, it's kind of like you, you ever punish all of your children because of one of them. Listen, I don't care who did it; you're all in trouble. Right? And yet what we see here is God is able to see the hearts of man and I gotta know I gotta believe his judgment is perfect. And it says that every inkling, every thought was to do evil always. But Noah. Instead of going, you know what? I'm just gonna everyone, 
There's this remnant. Well, see, the New Testament goes on and tells me First Peter, Second Peter, Luke, Hebrews. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. And Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What do I see here? Favor. Maybe undeserved favor to Noah. That's the very definition of grace. Undeserved favor with God. Because what we're going to read at the end of the story, after the flood and after Noah saves these animals and saves his family, what's Noah do? His own thing. He makes the same decision that Adam did. Did God, was God surprised by that? No. He knows. And even though he knows every decision of our hearts, still grace is his motivation. Grace and goodness for us is the plan and purpose of God. Jesus goes into the temple as he starts his ministry and he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. And the year of the favor of the Lord. The year of the favor of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that Noah was a foreshadowing with his ark, this device made of wood that would bring salvation, would be a foreshadowing of the ark that was made of wood on Calvary. This ark of salvation, this device, and that ultimately it wouldn't just be Noah who would find favor. We, because of Jesus, will find favor. That we're given unmerited, undeserved favor. Why? Because of Jesus. This isn't a new story. This was the story that I see from the start. I see God saving, redeeming, making a plan, and showing us a way. I want to show you this. Last night, my son came up to me. He said, Dad, I have a maze for you to solve. I said, let's see it, bud. And he said, you got to start there. I said, okay. And then I start and I go, wait a second. Is that lava? Right? Like, yeah. I, I, I go down and I go up and I go, man, is that a trap door? I go, I go through that and I, I'm looking like, man, okay, I can't go there because that, that's destruction. And I can't go this way because I don't even know what that is. What if I go into that room and I never get out, you know? I, I'm a dad with my son. He's six, okay? So bear with me on the analogies, right? But, uh, and yet, I can't figure it out. And he goes, I'll tell you a secret on how to solve it. Like, yeah, he's like, but you can't tell anybody. And then he takes his finger and he just goes straight up and around. He's like, done. <laughs> it's like, I did not see that at all, right? Uh, like, uh, and then I went to show my wife and she's like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? 
how, how many of you saw the way right off the bat? All the ladies, none of us men. Like, we're like, what are we going to do about this lava, right? We're going to build something, right? Like, we're going to figure this out, right? And, and yet, here, here's what I got to realize is there is a way, and it's not a secret. We can proclaim the way, and it doesn't have to be destruction. You don't have to be left to your own way. You don't have to try to figure out how to deal with the disasters of the world. He has made a way where there seemed to be no way. And he invites you, and he's telling you, and he's made the mysteries of God has been made known to us. The secret of the universe has been made known. It is found in the person of Jesus. He is the glorious one. He is the one who is highly favored, and he offers his favor, his grace, and his way where you didn't see it. So friends, Will you follow him? Will you avoid the trap of the enemy which says, go your way? Do you, friend. Just live your truth. Your truth is no truth at all. It ends in disaster. Go the way. It's transcendent above, above the waters, above the flood, above sin, this resurrected life that Jesus offers it's the way of salvation our way we deserve death and destruction because our way is no way at all his way is life will you pray with me gracious heavenly father you made a way where there seemed to be no way You made a way of escape. Jesus, I, I don't know all the answers to how to interpret some of these passages. What I know is what many of us confirm inside, which is we are far more spirit than we are flesh. And that in your grace, You've limited the mistakes of man. And from then on, you've been showing us, pursuing us, that we can have favor in your sight. And this favor is unmerited and undeserved. It's called grace. And we're saved by grace through faith. And as Noah trusted you, we'll trust you. As Noah trusted you that you had a plan of escape, a plan of salvation, we trust you for the plan of grace that came through the redemption, through the ark that is the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We praise you. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said... Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?